what I want to do this morning is I want to focus primarily on verses 8 through 20. Verses 1 through 7 were connected to what J. Russ was preaching last week. But I want to help you see that Paul is, is, there's a change in his approach in the letter right at this point. What Paul has been perplexed over is that the Galatians would have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They would have heard that this idea, this idea that that Jesus has freed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. He would have been telling them, listen, the only way you're ever going to get your guilt removed is by through the great truth of justification by faith alone. This has been his concern. And his concern is for a group of people that responded to that message but then turned away from that message and turned towards another gospel. When I was growing up, my, my neighbors were farmers and, and my dad, my neighbors and my dad and us were all, did a lot of hunting. And my dad kept a lot of hunting dogs and my neighbors, farmers, had a lot of hunting dogs. When I say a lot of dogs, you see people walking down the street with a couple dogs. I mean, we had a lot of dogs, like 10 to 12 dogs at any given moment. They were used for hunting, though. They didn't sleep inside. We took care of them. You've got to be careful around here. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'll get in trouble. We took care of the dogs, but they were raised for hunting. But oftentimes, because they were kept on, they were, they were chained. They got out every day, all, every night. We took them out. But they were, they were chained during the day. And dogs hate to be kenneled or chained. They want to get off. So if a cat walks through the backyard, it was mayhem in our yard. Because the dogs want to get off the chain. And every once in a while, one of the dogs that spent his day in the chain and then his evening roaming the woods and hunting, would get off the chain. We'd come home and chain empty. No dog. And as a kid, I was always perplexed at something. How a dog that longed for freedom would break the chain somehow and in a couple hours, without even looking for it, without even calling for it, it would come back totally free. doesn't need to come back here anymore. And lay in that box, in that same space where it was chained. Even set free. Go. Enjoy your freedom, at least for a few hours. Aren't we, and this is why Paul's so perplexed, is that we are like those here, Paul says, who were enslaved. And Jesus has set us free. And we, like a dog that longs for its freedom, get set free 
and then chain ourselves once again. This is why Paul is so perplexed. It's like the metaphor would be like someone who has gotten themselves clean from a heroin addiction slipping back into using heroin. It's like it's like imagine someone who's homeless being rescued by their family and taken to a a place where they can have food and sleep comfortably and have access to niceties. Leaving the house and going back to sleep in their box and a life of making ends meet on the street. This is how perplexing this is. That, that someone would receive the free grace of God through Jesus and then would turn back to, or turn back to old ways, turn back to old gods, turn back to believing that there's something other than Jesus that will save. That's why Paul is so perplexed over this. Now, his concern has been twofold. Up until this point, Paul's concern has been a theological one. I've been surprised, preaching through Galatians, how theological this book is. I mean, no wonder... Some would say, if you really want to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, make sure you understand the the book of Galatians. It is doctrinal. It is theological. And his concern has been getting doctrine right. But his concern isn't just doctrine. And he's going to, and at this point in the letter, he's going to turn. It's not that he's not going to be theological anymore. But something else enters into the content of this letter. And it's relational. You you heard as Heather was reading, Paul saying, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. He's talking about how they responded to the gospel at first. He's talking about how they would have gouged their eyes out for him. That's how much they loved him. So, So something has happened, not just at the doctrinal level, Something has happened at the relational level. And Paul is going to start talking about walking by the Spirit, bearing one another's burdens. All of these exhortations or applications of the gospel he begins to make at the, at the end of this letter. Because it's not, the gospel is not just theological. It has implications for our relationships. It has implications for how we relate to one another. The, the gospel changes everything, right? It transforms. It's like that, remember that experiment you did in middle school when you dropped the little drop of something into the water and it, and it slowly changed the color. I'm looking at my chemists. It slowly changed the color of the entire contents. It, it transformed every nook and cranny, it, it went in, it goes into us and changes everything about us. God doesn't leave any part of us unchanged by the gospel. We don't compartmentalize our lives and say, Jesus, change this part of me, but leave me. I want to stay in my old state over here. The gospel 
transforms everything. And one of the things it does is it transforms our relationships. And it transformed Paul's relationship with the Galatians, but now that they've turned away from their gospel, it's affected their relationship with Paul. Now they no longer love Paul. Now they question Paul. Now they're, they're experiencing this disunity with Paul. And so Paul begins to make some, raise some of his concerns that are of a relational nature. You following me? There's something here in the relationship with Paul and his relationship with the Galatians and then these legalists, these, other, these false teachers who have brought, a false, brought, a, brought some lies to them and it's important for us to understand and apply. So my main point this morning and what I'm hoping that God accomplishes in us is helps us to see that the gospel reshapes our relationships. So not only does it reshape our relationship with God, that's our vertical relationship, but it actually reshapes and transforms our relationships with one another. God wants to do something in us, Brandon and Grace. Family, He wants to help us to live like Christ towards one another. In the same way that the Gospel is a Gospel of grace, so we treat one another with grace. Easier said than done. The Gospel recalibrates our relational motives. Recalibrates it. It... it, it it gets in there and turns things upside down. It changes us. When we're standing on the grace of the Gospel, we look at people differently. You see, if your view of God is such that you have to do things in order to get Him to like you. In other words, you have to measure up to God. You have to clean yourself up at least until a point where you're clean enough that He would then say, okay, now I'll save you. If that is your understanding of God, which I'll tell you is a lot of our understanding of God. I was talking to a friend of mine Recently, he's been following Jesus for a long time and just sharing with me that that's, sometimes, that's, that's oftentimes how he views God, is that, that he's just not going to cut it in the end and God's going to humiliate him at the end of all things. We have this legalistic tendency to view God as someone we have to earn his affections. And so if God is someone that, has to, that we have to appease, then we take that same that, that same wrong understanding of God to our relationships. So our relationships become not opportunities to serve and sacrifice, but opportunities to get you to do things for me. The Gospel recalibrates our relational motives. We're motivated to service and sacrifice when the Gospel changes us. If the gospel has not changed you, you are not motivated. Do you remember? Do I have to remind you that, 
that left to your own, you're not motivated to think of to put others first. You're motivated. You come out of the womb extremely and primarily motivated to get yours. You're not interested in making sure that another person is a success. You're not interested in meeting the needs of others until the Gospel, which tells us that we could never get to God on our own. God came to get us. He saved us by grace. And when we realize that, that changes the way we look and view other people. We're motivated to serve, to service and sacrifice. There's this recalibration that takes place. We no longer are selfish. We now desire to serve and to sacrifice. And Paul is contrasting his motives with the motives of the legalists. You see, you see him doing that in verse 17. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. What's he doing? He's exposing the motives of the, the Judaizers. They're really in it for themselves. They're not in it for you. They're telling you these things that you ultimately might make much of them. Paul's exposing their motives. Their motives are rotten. Their motives are selfish. They're building a big fan club, but it's at the Galatians' expense. Sadly, this is, this is, if you're on social media at all, as it relates to religious and spiritual things, which I would recommend, my recommendation is, if you are doing that, get off immediately. Cut out. Good. But I, you see this happening in so many churches today, and it's so sad. God have mercy on us. Mega church pastors taking the truth and twisting it a little bit and building a huge fan base falling into serious sin are not healthy leaders. It's, it's hard to stay healthy if your church has 20,000 people in it. Because we are all attracted to desire to be noticed by people. Pastoring is a dangerous profession. Feeling like I've fallen off over here. It's dangerous because there's a desire within each of us to get noticed, to get people to like you, to stand in front of people. And Paul is saying that's what the Judaizers are doing. They've come and they've brought this false teaching and they're building you into themselves. They want to make, they want to make much of you that you would make much of them. They're building a big fan club. And Paul's saying, if you turn back and you follow these guys and you don't follow me in the, in the sense of following Jesus, you're going to end up shut out. That's his doctrinal concern.
Their motivation was their own reputation. Not so for Paul. It wasn't his reputation that motivated him to speak the truth to the Galatians. It was his strong desire to see them in Christ. So he's going to take sacrifices. He's going to make sacrifices and endure sacrifice in order to serve that ultimately it's not Paul's name who's in the lights. It's Jesus' name who's in the lights. This is what Paul is after. This is what motivates him. And his motives are very different. He desires to see Christ formed in them. And he was writing this letter to urge them to not give up the Gospel for a false one. This was his motivation. I said something a few weeks ago, that I, and it was something I read from Tim Keller, but I used this phrase and I've been thinking about it a lot. It's a phrase that helps us to understand the Gospel, and it's a phrase that recalibrates our relationships if we understand it. The Gospel really is my life for yours. Jesus gives His life for yours. That's the message of the Gospel. Now, what sin does is it, is it makes the theme of our lives not the message of the Gospel, not my life for yours, but your life for me. This is how we tend to live our lives. Sin operates on a different principle. Sin operates on the principle of what I can get out of you. What I can suck out of you. You exist for me. And so what happens is, relationally, we don't move out into relationships looking to serve and to sacrifice others. We, we go to relationships looking for what we'll get from them. Have you ever done this, church? Do you do cost-benefit analysis when you think about relationships? Yes, you do. You didn't want to acknowledge that, but you do. What do I mean by that? Well, you, you show up at the party or you show up at the gathering and you start evaluating where and who you're going to spend your time with based on what you're going to get out of the relationship. This is completely contrary to the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But we do this. We, we look to befriend people who are going to help us get where we're going. We look to befriend and spend time with people who make us feel good about ourselves. We avoid people with serious problems. And it's because the Gospel hasn't transformed us completely. Jesus, I'm so surprised at times, but He doesn't act this way. 
Jesus didn't go spend, didn't go seek out the power players. He went to the people who had serious problems. And do you know what they do? They drain you. The gospel wants to recalibrate us, church. So that we don't move into relationships primarily looking for what we're going to get. But we move into relationships looking for what we can give. Only Jesus can change you to act that way. That's a miracle. It's not going to happen, church, if Jesus doesn't change us. We don't tend to want to do the long work of discipleship if we feel like our efforts are going into a black hole. We don't have the patience for people that God has with us. God wants to transform. He wants to recalibrate our relational motives so that we're defined more by service and sacrifice than we are by moving into relationships looking to what we can get. And, and, and it's not just that we look into relationships for what we get. Some of us actually like moving into relationships with needy people, but we like that for the wrong reason. We like moving into relationships with, peop- with people who are needy because we like the feeling of being needed. AA and NA, they get this idea right. They call that an enabling personality. You actually, you actually move into a relationship with someone that is needy and then you like them being dependent upon you and you desire to keep them dependent upon you because it makes you feel a certain way. Friends, it's not service. It's not sacrifice. It's selfish. The gospel wants to recalibrate us so that we don't live your life for mine, but my life for yours. This is what Jesus did, friends. He he came, the Scripture tells us, not desiring to be served, but to empty himself and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is what he did. What if, what if, what if he hadn't done it that way? Why are, how would we be so convinced that we would be the people that Jesus would move out in, towards relationship with? It's all by grace that you've been saved. It's all by grace that He has saved us. Why did, he, why did He choose you and not someone else? Why has your life been transformed, but maybe someone else from your family hasn't? Why, why is someone from your family still experiencing the hellish existence of a life not in Christ, and you're not? Why is that? Friends, the answer from Galatians is the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you get that, when you understand that, 
that'll recalibrate your relationships with others. You won't move into relationships to see what you can suck out of people. You'll move into relationships to actually serve and sacrifice because you're not looking for the praise of the person that you're serving. You're looking for the praise, the eye of Jesus who says to you when you've served in this way, well done, good and faithful servant. Your eyes are on Christ and, and the approval you've received from Him in Christ and not the approval or the lack of approval you get from people. Grace wants to change us. Who wants to change? Wow. We should have had more amens than that. You know, maybe you're just being honest. Maybe you don't want to change. I believe you do. I believe you do. I believe this church is full of people who really do understand that the gospel is my life for yours and that when you hear that truth being spoken, there's something that takes place in your heart that says, yes, that's true about me. I, I do live as if it's your life for mine. But now that Jesus has changed me, I don't want to live that way anymore. And any moment that you've ever stepped out, you've moved out into relationships, not to get but to give, have been some of the greatest moments and joy you've known in Christ. Have you ever forgotten yourself? It happens so rarely, right? Have you ever gotten so, so caught up with the purposes of God that you stepped in to serve and you have totally forgotten yourself and what you get out of situation. Friends, I can tell you, that happens so rarely in my life. I feel so aware of myself. But I'm trying to preach the gospel to myself, this message of my life for yours. And when I get that, it starts to recalibrate me and I look at relational challenges in a different way. I look at you in a different way. I look at my family, I look at my life, wife, I look at my neighbors all in a different way. I'm able, I'm actually empowered by the gospel to start to move out into relationships with a desire to serve instead of always moving out into relationships to suck life out of people. Grace recalibrates our relational motives. Notice also that Paul speaks the truth. Paul has this unwavering commitment to the truth. He speaks hard things. but good things. If we're going to live recalibrated with our motives in, to, in relationship changed, it'll mean that we speak the truth to one another. By contrast, the legalists speak with forked tongues. They don't give them the truth. They give them a, an, a false idea packed, packaged nicely and they've bought it. You can sell just about anything with good marketing. Paul won't do that. He gives it 
to them straight. We should watch out for people who only ever tell us what we want to hear. You should be so recalibrated in your relationships that when you see something awry in a relationship, you're, able, you're actually able to move out into that relationship with the truth of the gospel. You can actually speak a word of truth, but sometimes your friends might not want to hear it. I'm not saying that God so recalibrates us that we become perfect and our relationships become perfect. I'm, boy, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying that our motivations are changed so that we're able to deal with the problems that come in relationship. You need people in your life who will occasionally offend your pride with the truth. If you define truth as something that only ever... never requires any adjustments, never you, you receive it in it, and it always sits well with you. Somebody's not telling you the truth. We should beware of thinking that the truth is always an idea that is always and ever appealing to us. Why do we think that, guys? Why do we think that the truth is something we'll like? Sometimes we're not going to like it. Who taught us that liking something is, is evidence of its factuality? Has every fantasy you ever had came true? Has everything that's happened to you been exactly what you wanted? Remember that D you got in class? Some of us more than others. Remember the hurtful things your dad said to you? The number on the scale when you look down? Speaking the truth, unless it needs to be recalibrated. <laughs> it's speaking the truth. Now, you might not like what it says. Chances are you don't. But it, it's factual. Your bank balance. I not like it. The doctor's advice. None of these things are generated by whether we like them or not. They are simply realities that are diminished in no way because we dislike them. Paul speaks the truth. And he tells them that teaching truth is loving. And teaching error is unloving. And what they are doing is unloving. What I am doing is loving. Are you committed to speaking the truth in your relationships? Are you committed to, to, to when you see something in, in someone's life and you realize they need the truth of God's Word, they need it spoken to them in love? 
Have you been so recalibrated by the Gospel that you can move into that relationship with the truth of the Gospel, believing that in sharing it, even if they don't like exactly what I say, that I'm going to offer them the truth. Believing that in the truth is where there's hope. Are we doing that in our relationships? Has the grace of Gospel so shaped us and so transformed us that our motives in relationship change, that we, that we move into relationships speaking the truth, that we move into relationships responding even with joy. Paul, Paul talks about this interesting thing. He says, he talks about his relationship with them and he says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am. For I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You feel the loving appeal in this. This is relational. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the Gospel to you at first. And evidently this trial that he went through was a, or this condition that he had was a trial to them. And then he says that they had so, they'd been so transformed by the Gospel and the message that Paul had preached that if possible they would have gouged out their eyes some commentaries make a connection there that whatever his bodily ailment was that had something to do with his eyes and whatever was happening with his eyes must have been fairly grotesque. Some kind of bodily ailment. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't treat me that way. The Gospel had so recalibrated you that you didn't need me to be handsome. You didn't need me to look a certain way. And even like what I was dealing with, I don't know what it was, pus dripping out of his eyes. I don't know. But that's kind of gross, right? And he's saying to them, you loved me so much. You moved. The Gospel had so transformed you that your response to me was that you would have, if it was possible, you would have taken a, you would have gotten your own eye out of your head and you would have given it to me. That's how much you loved me. That's how much you've been changed. You've moved out into a relationship with me with a desire to serve. Now here's the challenge for you. They had Paul with his pussy eye. You've got me, the total package. So maybe you can't relate. Just kidding. The point is that Paul... Paul's was so, he was so transformed by the gospel that he went to the Galatians to serve, and they were so transformed by the gospel that they looked to serve him. Do you see what's taking place? The gospel has totally transformed their relationships. It's transformed everything about them. They would have given what was precious to them to Him because He gave them the hope-filled, life-changing freedom of the Gospel. They would have yielded to Paul their most precious possessions. Our relationships, even though not perfect, should be characterized by joy. Why? Because the Gospel has so completely transformed us that we can actually love one another in hard places not looking for approval from other people, not looking to get from other people, but because of what we've received from Jesus, we're able 
to love even when it hurts. Let me ask the band to return. I want to end by asking just this question. How has the gospel recalibrated your relational motives? Are you living, when you think about your relationships right now, is it characterized, would the banner over that relationship be my life for yours, or is it still primarily your life for me? Where in your relationships, in your relational, relational network, are you still living as if it's your life for me instead of my life for yours? The Gospel wants to come home to our hearts. Jesus wants to help us because the great joy for us is remembering that He gave His life for us that we might lay our lives down for one another. That's where the joy is found. And I, and I do believe that many of you are missing out on that joy because while you believe the gospel, you haven't allowed it to recalibrate, to so soak into you that it would change how you relate to other people. My life for yours. What if? What if? What would it look like if all of us who have responded to the Gospel of Jesus Christ really began to move out into relationships with that idea? In this relationship, it's my life for yours. What would happen? And I'm, please don't misunderstand me. It's not that it's not happening. It is happening. What if it continued? What if... What if God just so did a work in us that, that, that we were able to live in that way? Moving out into relationships to serve and to sacrifice. Brandywine Grace, I can imagine us doing great things for the fame of Jesus. And what the Scripture tells us is that He can do more than we could ever ask or imagine.